sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. We gotta do something about China, or America will not be a strong economic power 10 or 15 years from now. I don't fully agree with what the president has done because he's fought, fought this against too many different countries. But going being tough on China is something I've advocated for decades. One thing I think we all agree on is that nobody wins a trade war. And we're all hoping, as others have suggested here, that these particular tactics get us into a better position vis-a-vis China. Alabama's Governor Kay Ivey signed the nation's most restrictive abortion bill yesterday afternoon. Amanda Reyes works with an Alabama group that provides funding to women seeking pregnancy termination. We have already seen panic from people who are unsure of whether or not they're going to be able to get the abortions that they have scheduled this week. And now, Stacy Washington. Hey everybody, welcome. Happy, happy Friday to ya. Guess what? More heartbeat bills, this time in the state of Missouri. We've been talking about this. We've been excited about this. I'm going to give you some details on what we know, what we don't know. We're also going to talk to Will and Mickey Addison, hosts of Airing the Addisons here on Urban Family Talk, about the ministry-wide American Family Association Marriage, Family, and Life Conference, which is June 20th through, tw- <laughs> June 20th through 22nd. Pardon my little flubbage there. Um, and then we're going to get into the big hot-button issue for this week. And it's really been for this year. It's really been for this past, I don't know, five or six years, and that is heartbeat legislation. It's happening around the country. Are conservatives pushing this a little too fast? Are, are we jumping the gun? We'll talk about that as well. We're going to chat with Will and Miki here in the next segment. We're also going to dive into a little more detail on the Equality Act. This time, we're going to talk about the possibility of uh, a veto threat, which at, at present there isn't one. And, um, more on the economy. And of course, the the FISA story, the constitutional crisis, which is truly the, the FISA court, it looks like Comey really was kind of stepping to the president uh, a la blackmail, a la J. Edgar Hoover, when he took the dossier information to the president in that fateful White House dinner that they had together. Um, of course, and as would be expected, Donald Trump didn't even recognize or or acknowledge the attempt um he's i don't think he's a blackmailable type of a guy but it's an interesting turn of events to see someone so vaunted and loved by the media actually kind of get their just desserts with the the truth is comey he was a bad actor a a dirty dealer someone who didn't care as much for the, the truth and the constitution and the the rule of law and the proper Uh, running of an agency with integrity as he claimed to have all of his book writing and standing in the tall, uh, you know, tall trees talking about so many questions. His Twitter feed is a hoot. If you, if you go there and he tries to be so, so pious, but it comes off as pompous self-dealing. Yeah. It's all for naught. It means nothing. So right now I want to dig into our encouragement for today. And this is for me, This is something, you know, full disclosure, I feel like I struggle with this. And that is seeing reality. Now, I'm not saying I, you know, I'm delusional or have problems with, you know, day to day reality, but I'm talking about the reality of the cross. So 
first we want to go to second Corinthians four, seven through eight, which says, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen for the things which are seen are temporal. They're within our realm. They're temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So the thing that we can't see that we all can't, we have our minds on is heaven. We can't see it, but it is eternal. And the way the earth is now, the situations that we face now, our political fights, our social fights, our moral fights, all of these things are temporal. They, the, the ramifications last into eternity, but we don't have, um, we, we, we have no idea what the, the new earth will look like when we, you know, crossed over to the other side and we're on that side of eternity, no longer living in these, you know, human bodies, but on to our created bodies. We, we don't know. I don't know what any of that's going to look like, except what the Bible tells us. And so because of this kind of dichotomy for us, we have a, a real problem with focusing on the right priorities. So we need help to focus on those, to see what is really important. Um, and, you know, this this can happen. Have you ever uh, had a phone number, you know, that you need to dial and it's kind of close to your own area code? So our area code here in St. Louis for uh, for most of St. Louis is either 314 or 636. And if you have to dial a number that's 646 or, you know, 318, any any derivative, if it's close to your zip code, I, this has happened to me before, I'll dial my zip code plus the number I'm supposed to dial. And then when I get the wrong number, I look back, I'm like, oh, I, I, I you know, transfixed those numbers. And so since I'm used to dialing th- either 314 or 636, I, I tend to have that as my, that's what I can see. Even when I'm looking at something different, I don't see what's really there. I have to kind of concentrate and, and make that happen. And so it kind of led me to the question, well, how often do we do this with other things, really, really important things like eternal realities? So the Apostle Paul was talking about that in the second Corinthians 418 that we just that we just read. While we look not at the scenes which are things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal and the things which are not seen are eternal. So the question is, what are we missing? Don't we kind of wish I know I do. I, I, I long for the day when I can see things as God sees them. Now, the passage in 2 Corinthians actually infers to us that we can see things as God sees them, but we have to be willing to take a look. And by look, I mean, it's a shifting of our priorities and the way we view the world. We ought to see things as God sees them, but the question is how? Now, would you live differently if you saw things as they really are, the true eternal spiritual realities? Thinking about that, if we could see and consider what life would be like if we saw things that God sees, we wouldn't be nearsighted, would we? In this physical life, we are quite nearsighted. We worry about our immediate needs. We miss seeing what is really, really important. So the immediate priority of the kingdom of heaven is one thing that we would see. That is more important than present physical matters. And I I feel like that connects up to what we see with women staying up all night calling and, and, you know, people spending the night at the Capitol um, to pass these heartbeat legislations. It's, it's a fight that's being fought for the value of human life and the truth of the Bible and the truth of God's word. When he says, before I formed you, I knew you. 
So if I could see the way God sees, wouldn't I alter my priorities? Would I really have one goal in my life because there's really only one thing that matters? So how do we prioritize when we fail to see the reality? That, that's that's a, a question for us. What would a spiritually sighted person think about one who could see the unseen, one who was operating in this 2 Corinthians 4.18 world? Um, well, I mean, we would know to focus on heaven over the cares and worries of this world. Um, Jesus told us in Matthew 6.25-33, For this reason I say to you, don't be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food, the body more than clothing? He goes on in verse 33 to say, but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So consequently, if I could see as he sees, I would alter my priorities. There'd be one goal, one thing that matters. So prioritizing when we fail to see the reality involves looking at our schedule. I mean, I've just, this is the month of May. Um, I saw a cute little parody video talking about how May is, it's really May, May Sember. <laughs> so a cross between May and December. And December has become one of those months, which is really super frantic because of Christmas. So instead of people slowing down and celebrating the season and the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we tend to speed everything up and rush. We try, you know, we want to make this brunch, we want to make that party, we want to have lunch with this one. And it's all about distributing gifts. So you have to buy the gifts. You have to run around and try to find gifts on sale. And you're at the mercy of the retailers when they have a sale, when they have, you know, this much extra percentage off. And what ends up happening is instead of enjoying ourselves, it becomes a time of fretting, worrying, rushing, and really it's not restful at all. And so over the past couple of years, I mean, I know this happens when with age, as your kids get older, you begin to realize how little of what you bought them for Christmas they remember. It's the feelings and the season that they remember and they either love it or they don't love it because of the way that we set it up, the way we execute. And so recently we've, in our family, especially the last few years, we've slowed it down. We have less gifts under the tree, fewer gifts under the tree, but there's more enjoyment. And we tend to prioritize attending events with people, seeing people over actually trying to find a gift for every single person that we, we know and have ever met. And that has really changed the way we enjoy Christmas. And I enjoyed it before, but I think I enjoy it more now. So that brings me back around to how do we handle our schedule? How do we handle things at work? The, the, the fact is, for people who work and for people who stay at home, for stay-at-home moms, you have deadlines. There are things that must be done. You can't say, well, I'm prioritizing heaven, so I'm not going to you know, turn this in. I'm not going to show up for that. I'm not. We can't do that. We also have to buy groceries. We have to make lists, you know, either electronic ones or paper ones. We have to get gas, pay bills, do laundry. We do have to present ourselves, you know, in a, in a clean and, and serviceable fashion. We do have to have clothes. And we do need ways to distract ourselves, hobbies, um, you know, mowing the lawn, which my husband actually finds it relaxing, cooking dinner, we have to do that, eating with your family. Um, And then, you know, crashing and watching a little bit of TV is not sinful. So how do we prioritize heaven over that? Well, a spiritually sighted person would be thinking about, um, you know, yeah, you need to eat, but let's have that cup of coffee with God to start the day, spend some time in prayer read his word, meditate on it, 
that's an important time, not just wasted or idle. It's worth setting the clock back that 15 or 20 minutes to do it so that we can see our reality the way God sees it. That's how we can prioritize that. We can also say, you know, instead of just, hey, here's my list. And I I have one on my desk every day and I cross things off of it. And then stuff that doesn't get done from the day before I have to carry it over. Instead of looking at it and sighing, which I often do, I have to say, well, okay, God, what do you have in store for me today? Challenges and opportunities. I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready with you. Um, Father, how can I be a light to someone? Thank you for providing for me and my family. Um, is there someone that I can help today, that, that I can give something to, that I can do something for? I don't have much time with my kids today, Lord. How can I nurture them in the short time that I have? What what needs can you bring to my mind that I can fulfill for them in, in some time before I pick them up or before I see them or when I see them? You can acknowledge, hey, I know I belong to God. I am the fullness of him who fills all in all. And then instead of kind of approaching the day with, okay, here we go. How about some excitement? I'm alive and I have the opportunity to bring glory to God's name today. I have the opportunity to do a radio show. I have the opportunity to, uh, you know, to write an article or share scripture on social media, or I have an opportunity to send someone an encouraging text. I have an opportunity to, you know, call someone for a last minute cup of coffee and, you know, just talk about the glory of God or share something amazing that God has done in our lives today. What if you looked and you said, hey, you know what? Oh my goodness. I've just found out today's my last day. I'm going to the unseen realm tonight. What would your focus be on today if you knew that? So we would see that physical prosperity is not nearly as important as our spiritual wellness. We would focus on being right with God in every moment. We would focus on dealing rightly with people, which is a form of worship. You know, full full disclosure, I'm working on that, man. Dealing rightly with people is a form of worship. We would focus on being kind. We'd focus on being generous, forgiving. If we could really see the way God sees, we'd see the sad state of so many souls who would stand in judgment and we would reach out to them and tell them about the gospel. We would focus on embodying the spirit of Christ and we would focus on asking God to help us help them. Let's make this attempt to get that eternal focus. I think God is in that. He'll bless us. We'll be back with Will and Miki in a minute. Our Holy Land tour for March of 2020 is set. Hello, everyone. I'm Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. Last year, we sold out in August, and I expect us to do that again this year. There is such a high demand especially among Christians in America, to see Israel, the land of the Bible. So we're going again in March on our annual trek. So I wanted to go ahead and let you know if you want to sign up and register, get more information, whatever the case may be, if you want to go to our website, twholyland.com, twholyland.com, everything is there, twholyland.com. You can even print off a brochure from that website. It's going to be a wonderful time visiting Israel with brothers and sisters from across our country as we go to the Holy Land in March. So go ahead and get signed up now, twholyland.com. 
Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with a Legacy Moment. I've had my share of embarrassing and humiliating experiences in my life. I remember the time I got stuck in a bathroom while an auditorium full of people was waiting to hear me speak. Sometimes we can't learn certain lessons unless we have the bitter taste of failure in our mouths. God uses humiliation to get our attention and to show us how inadequate we are. In 2 Samuel chapter 16, David is running from his own son Absalom. He has to get out of Dodge. You talk about a humiliating experience. Here David is, leaving the very city that represented the visible expression of the promises of God to him. He has to go back out in the wilderness. While he's leaving to add insult to injury, there's this guy, Shimei, who starts cursing him and throwing rocks at him. Let's pick up the story in 2 Samuel chapter 16, verse 9. Then Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over now and cut off his head. But the king said, If he curses and the Lord has told him to curse David, then who shall say, Why have you done so? Wow. There are at least two principles we can extract from this encounter. First, God sometimes allows people and circumstances to bring ridicule and embarrassment. David is the king. He shouldn't have to put up with this. Then secondly, don't rule the ridicule and embarrassment as your enemy. David says to Abishai, no, come on, put the weapons down. Maybe I need to hear this. Well, here's what I want you to remember today. We all have too much of ourselves hanging around. When God places the mirror of humiliation in front of us, we should take a good look and then make some changes. Legacy Moment is a production of Moody Radio. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the program. You know what? Thanks for making your home here at American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. And it's my pleasure to welcome two great friends and real leaders in the Christian movement. Will and Miki Addison. Miki is an author, nationally renowned speaker, and co-host of Airing the Addisons on Urban Family Talk, which airs every morning. Big, huge show. And Will is the general manager of Urban Family Talk. And the idea about Urban Family Talk, that was his. That was his whole thing right there. So, Will, Miki, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having us. We appreciate thank it. Thank you, Stacy. Yes, thank you. So let's talk about this. The Marriage and Family Conference, which it's Marriage, Family, and Life Conference. Let me mm-hmm. get that name right. Um, it's coming up June 20th through 22nd at Hope Church, which is right there in the heart of Tupelo. It's a beautiful <laughs> facility. And there's so much... Um, like last year was just such a fantastic event. And some of the topics are going to be marriage. Is it still relevant? Does the church have a vested interest in it? How do we restore those that are broken? Family, how can we defend it if we don't properly define it? What makes the biblical standard of family the only standard? And life, what must the church do to glorify God in the midst of a culture of death? And how do we navigate new norms regarding not only sexual ethics, but sexual identity? Just those three right there. I think you could be there for five days on those yeah. subjects, right. but right. this is a two-day right. conference. And so yeah. you're in, you're out, you're getting all this content. Let's talk about some of the speakers. Who's coming in? Oh, man, we have a great lineup of uh, speakers. We have uh, B- uh, Bishop Vincent Matthews. Uh, the Church of God in Christ, he'll be speaking to the life issue. Uh, he's on the front lines, not only with saving lives, but also uh, providing adoption for, for babies 
uh, who were not wanted. So mm-hmm. um, he has a great message. Our bi- uh, Bishop uh, E.W. Jackson will also mm-hmm. be here. And he'll be talking about why Christians need to stand for biblical marriage. Uh, he's a fireball. So yeah. <laughs> it'll be a good time with uh, Bishop Jackson. We also have uh, J. Warner Wallace. And Miki, tell us a little bit about him. Oh, man. J. Warner Wallace is really, um, as as every believer is, a blessing to the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's an American uh, homicide detective and Christian apologist. And if I could just um, say to parents listening, um, our nine-year-old son, J.D., says that J. Warner Wallace is his favorite Christian apologist, actually. Uh, he's a senior fellow at the Colson Center for Christian Worldview, um, adjunct professor of apologetics, incidentally, at Biola University. And he's authored uh, three books for adults and three books for kids, mm-hmm. whereby he applies his skill as a homicide detective to help us make a case for the faith, right? And so this is actually the way that J. Warner Wallace came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ was he took his ability and his skill and training as a cold case detective, which, by the way, he's been featured on Dateline uh, several times. And he because he actually solves cold cases, right, like like finds out who did it and then, you know, brings them into custody. It's a really an amazing thing. And so he actually took his skill and his techniques as a homicide detective and applied those techniques to testing the veracity of the scriptures. And over 30 years ago. What he found was that when he applied those techniques, the Bible was evident, evidently true, mm. that there was evidence around everything that is claimed by Jesus Christ and his followers after he resurrected to prove and confirm that the Bible is fully trustworthy. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, not only will he teach that in the main session, but he will also teach that to kids who are involved in the children's track, which is a major component of this conference. One, I think that kind of sets us apart from other conferences. We are not saying that you need to leave your kids at home when you come to this conference. And Mm -hmm. when you bring your kids, they are not um, being babysat, right? We don't believe in that either. So we don't tuck them off into a room somewhere where they're getting juice and crackers. They are actually receiving robust instruction in Christian apologetics. (laughs) So um, we're really excited about that. Okay. So I'm totally excited about that too, because I think one thing when you have, you know, an all day Friday and then Saturday, you know, and Friday evening as well uh, on the agenda, there's, uh, there's activities all day Friday and then to the evening and then Saturday parents will say, you know, especially parents with younger kids, ours are teenagers. So I could just say, um, y'all are coming or you guys have this list of things to do when I get back. Don't, don't, don't let me down, you know, <laughs> take care of this. Like it's your house. Cause it is. And then come back and they'll be doing stuff. But mm-hmm. for people with smaller kids, you're like, okay, how do I navigate this? Do I need a babysitter? And yeah. often that can be a hindrance for people attending an event like this. And I want to stress that as Miki and Will are sharing about these speakers, like, so Bishop Vincent Matthews is an amazing dynamic speaker, yes. yeah. a true heart for God. Bishop E.W. Jackson, when Miki says fireball, up that, a fireball has, I don't know how many degrees of temperature, but volcano <laughs> uh, liquid, the, you know, the lava, <laughs> that's 1,400 degrees. And I think you're getting volcanic levels <laughs> of temperature from E.W. Jackson. Yeah. He is on fire for God. And then Jay Warner Wallace Bringing that um, that background of, you know, being in in public service as a police officer Mm -hmm. and connecting that to Christian apologetics, 
that's dynamic. And mm-hmm. so, so that's stuff that you don't want to miss. And, and that, that's not all. Right. Miki did not get to Stephen Black, Laura Perry herself. Oh She's going to be speaking. Abraham Hamilton III. You, if you have not, if you don't know who he is, I'm not sure what planet you're on. You can't be <laughs> on this one. Um, and I have to say, for my part, last year at the conference, one of the highlights for me was Miki's keynote where she took something that I, I'm so aware of it. I ran track in high school. We have a couple of kids running track right now. And our son actually runs the relay. And she talked about the relay and compared the handoff in the relay and the runner's box to what mm. parents do when they let those parents go. Now, my favorite analogy for releasing the kids out is, of course, the biblical one that they're arrows. And mm. I tell people all the time, especially young parents, well, first, fill your quiver up. If someone tells you don't have too many kids, that person is coming from the enemy. God bless them. Right. They don't know it, but they're speaking <laughs> of the voice of the enemy. You never regret having three kids or five kids, but you will say to yourself at some point, if you only have one or two or three, man, I wonder what it would have been like if we'd had a couple more, or I wish we wouldn't have listened to this person or that and maybe had a couple more. And when you are letting your kids go, it is, it's, it's just as painful as pulling the arrow back because a true mm. Uh, a, a person who's truly a marksman with a bow and arrow mm-hmm. actually experiences a bit of pain every time they pull the arrow back to release it. The mm. longer you hold it and the more you breathe and in and out and calm yourself, it's the same as with shooting um, the the calmness that you have in your body, the comfort that you have with the weapon and your positioning enables you to actually fine tune your shooting so that you can hit the target exactly. And it's the same thing with shooting an arrow when you can calm your breathing down and relax into a position that your body already knows and allow your muscle memory to act, you will experience less pain, but there's still pain involved every time you shoot. And as a person who's now released one child, she's in college, (laughs) I can tell you that the pain of releasing an arrow in reality is much, much, it's minuscule in comparison to the pain of actually saying, okay, God, this is your child, really. I've been deluding myself this whole time. I thought she was mine. Now she's going to college, and you're going to rely on him like you never have before. And so that's my little analogy, which I thought was pretty cool, until I was sitting in the Hope Church and listening to Miki talking about handing off in the runner's box. And Mm. if you could, Miki, I know this is like the the speech was fantastic, and it was so well done. And at the end, I was like on the edge of my seat, like, what is she going? Like, where is she going with this? And it was so amazing. But could you kind of give maybe just a condensed version of the runner's box so they can get a taste of what is going to happen uh, June sure. 20th through 22nd? Sure, I'd be happy to. But let me just say that your analogy totally stands because it is it is a little bit different what I'm suggesting here because you're right. We have um, arrows in our quiver and we shoot those out and the Lord guides and, and we entrust our kids to the Lord. What I was suggesting is that in the passing down of the gospel to our kids, it's mm-hmm. very similar in this race, this, uh, this relay race where you have a runner who is in the mm-hmm. crossover box or the changeover box and mm-hmm. they start running as they see the incoming running uh, runner approaching. And so then... There is a moment in time, and anybody who's a runner, you know this, Stacey, your kids know this, um, mm-hmm. where the outgoing runner and the incoming runner are running at the same pace. And the responsibility and the weight on positioning the baton is totally that of the outgoing runner. So mm-hmm. that would be the parents in this situation, right? And so the mm-hmm. incoming runner is your kid. And so you've got to, you know, be 
positioned rightly, you've got to be holding the baton. And I, I refer to the baton as the gospel that we're passing mm-hmm. down to our kids. You've got to have it completely intact. You've got to be holding it properly because it's called a blind handoff. You don't mm-hmm. look behind you. You're running. You guys are running at the same pace. And then you hand that baton off. Um, the person coming up behind you, you know, will usually yell stick. And, and that's uh-huh. when you release, you know, you, you they're ready to go. They're telling you I'm, I'm within range and I've got it and, and let's go. And I think so often what we have missed in that is that we are fumbling the baton Mm-hmm. And then we wonder why the incoming runner can't grasp it, right? Mm-hmm. So we are not right. holding the gospel properly and passing that on to our kids. So my encouragement for attendees last year was to disciple and train your children and to pass the gospel down to them in text. Now, not a deathbed type of, well, I'm done, <laughs> right? And I've done <laughs> all ahead. I can do. <laughs> and here you go, baby. Here's the gospel. No, because the analogy here is that the outgoing runner is spry and is running and is fit and has handled the gospel properly so that they are running at the same rate of speed that the incoming runner is going. So you, as a parent, while you are young and fit and vibrant, you are discipling and training your kids so that when it's time for you to kind of trail off when they've got the baton firmly and now it's their leg, then you trail off, not sort of dying and collapsing, but really looking back and saying, you know, to God be the glory that I was able to do that. Right. And so that's all I was trying to, trying to encourage our parents. And and it was amazing. And so Mm -hmm. I encourage you (laughs) to come to the conference because you'll get to hear Miki give the full, uh, that that was just a condensed version. It was so amazing. And I, I just keep remembering um, when you were talking about this runner's box, I could see in my mind, because, you know, doing track in high school, I remember seeing it done right. And when it's done correctly, you will actually see, the person receiving the baton look back and begin to run. And the one who's running towards them slows down ever so slightly. And if it's done perfectly, they'll actually be running with both their right legs will be running at hitting the ground at the wow. same time. And their left leg will be hitting the ground at the same <laughs> wow. time. And at that moment, when the one says stick and the one hands off, they're actually running ex- exactly the same speed, two oh separate humans, goodness. not twins, nothing. And then when, when the first one hands off to the second, when they let go, it's almost a, it's, it's like trust because the person, it can be in their hand. And if you've seen a fumble, it will fall because it's mm-hmm. in their hand, but they haven't grasped it. Well, if the right. person whose hand is back <laughs> has grip on that baton, when the one who's letting it go releases it, then that first one, the, the receiver, the, the person who's getting the baton, will immediately begin to run faster. And at that point, the race is either won or lost. It's mm. not won or lost at the end. It's in the runner's box. Mm-hmm. And so when you gave the analogy about the parents handing it off, I could see that moment. When you've seen it done right, you're just impressed beyond all belief. And when you see it done wrong, you want to cry for that person because you know yeah. they were doing all they yeah. could and something went wrong. And I think when we are, as parents, we're thinking, like you said, it's kind of like this deathbed thing. And for some people, you know, that's where they are. That's what they do. But for most of us, we want to hand off while we're fresh and spry because as with you guys, I have many more handoffs to do here. Yeah, (laughs) Two more kids left at the house. We're fitting to hand Miles off here in a couple of months. Um, (laughs) Monday night, he will be graduating and I'm... I'm I'm not going to be in that in that school crying, but I am. I know it's getting emotional over here. I've already burst mm. into tears a few times, and I'm just thinking about all the moments with him when he was small. Yes, all his little wisdom drops because he'll he'll drop some wisdom on you and then smile and keep on going, <laughs> and all of the things that I'm going to miss about having him here in this house. 
But as my husband has told me so many times before when I've been like, I can't believe, you know, they're, they're so big now. He'll say, well, what was our goal? Our goal was for them to be ready to leave this house, to go yeah. off and do whatever they were going to go do and that they would be ready to go. So if they weren't ready and they weren't able to go, we'd be fretting about that. So you're feeling the loss, but this is what we prayed for. We prayed for them to be ready. So you want your child to be ready to receive the, the baton of the gospel. You want to be able to hand it off to them. But it's not something that you do in just that one moment um, when they leave the house. We've been handing Miles the baton ever since we first started, you know, hey, let's memorize the scripture together. Mm. Every time we've handed yeah. it off to him Excellent. and he's received it. And there's been times where I fumbled it. And there's been times where he hasn't mm. been ready to receive it. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. God's grace has covered all of that. And I know that Amen. for parents who, especially if your kids are smaller and you're kind of like, I know when my kids are small, Miki, I could not, I couldn't envision, like I'd see moms with these big, huge kids. I'm like, I just, I can't envision these small kids there. <laughs> yeah. But now yeah. here I am. And now other yeah, moms look at me and they're amazing. like, so what's it like this? Or, and they ask you this so question. Like, oh yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm like, I, this is where I am. I'm over here. Like people are asking me questions. I'm, I'm still thinking, well, I'm, I'm wondering how this is going to work out, but that's, you know, that that's the nature of parenting. But I just... I would encourage people, if you thought that was great, that's just a taste. You're going to get so much information at this conference. And then there's the fellowship. A lot of the mm-hmm. listening audience that really, you, the people you see in the chat rooms, the turban, the live streams, the people that you see sharing the content, those people will also be traveling from across the country to come to this conference. And it's kind of one of those things where if you're, if you're not there, you're going to miss out. And God bless you if you have other stuff to do. But I'm encouraging you to make that commitment to go down. And the conference is very affordable. Mm-hmm. Not only that, the La Quinta Inn and Suites is one of the uh, places that has rooms blocked off for the conference. That's and there right. are that's other right. great hotels in the area as well. So mm-hmm. when you when I say this this hotel, that's where there are rooms blocked. But you can also stay at the Best Western. Mm-hmm. I, I believe there's a Holiday Inn or a Hilton, yeah. there's a Hilton property there. So there's a lot of options for you if you want, depending on who you have points with. Just, you know, yeah. do do what you do. But you can get to this conference easily and make this happen. That's can right. I let me let me just add to for all of our listeners, um, you know, the American Family Association will open our doors so that you can come and tour the facility when you attend this conference. But I also want to make sure that our listeners know that we do not want this conference at all to be cost prohibitive. So if you are listening and you go to AFR.net, AFR.net, and when you're there, you're like, oh, I don't know if we can do that. You know, maybe it's just not in the budget. Email us, please let us know. And in fact, it may be better for you to actually, for that purpose, go to urbanfamilytalk.com and you can send an email through the website. Mm -hmm. And all you're going to do is say, hey, guys, you know, I really want to be a part of this. I just don't know that it's in my budget to do this. And then we've got you. Okay, there are scholarships available. So fantastic. So in other words, there's just really no excuse for you. If you want to be there, you can. And if you want to take part in what's going to be happening, what, and they've got BSAC, which is the Biblically Sound Artist Coalition, is going to be performing. Flame will be there on Thursday evening. And so I just encourage you, urbanfamilytalk.com, click on the conference tab, register. And I'm Stacy Washington. Will and Miki, thank you for being here today. Thank you. God bless you. All right. Talk to you again soon. This is Uncommon Moments. Here's former Super Bowl winning NFL coach Tony Dungy and his wife Lauren sharing from their book Uncommon Marriage. Tony and I look forward to Tuesdays because it's a time we can give back to our community. And it's also become a date day for us. 
we see our older kids off to school and get a babysitter to watch the youngest ones. Then Lauren and I visit two Tampa schools where we read to students. Afterwards, we have lunch together. Tuesdays is just another way that Tony and I make sure we're scheduling time for the two of us. Yes, we're both busy, but isn't everyone? So when it comes to your uncommon marriage, T-I-M-E is the key word. Spend time with each other and you'll see your marriage grow. Tony and Lauren Dungy, authors of Uncommon Marriage, learning about lasting love and overcoming life's obstacles together. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. Doc, I've been feeling a little out of sorts lately. Can you help? Well, let's try a few questions. What do you think of when I say the word Roku? Oh, my wife and I used to love that dance when we were younger. (laughs) Yes, I'd say you're a little out of touch. What do you recommend? I recommend you listen to AFR, American Family Radio, available on Apple and Android products, Amazon Alexa, and now available on Roku. And then we'd whip, and then we'd nay-nay. Oh, it was wonderful. Pastor D. The Back to God movement always reminds people that we got to know who we are and whose we are. And we are children of the Most High God. Made in His image and likeness, that's what Genesis 1.26 says, made in his image and likeness. So that means if Yeshua could walk on water, guess what? We can too. Each weekday at 4 o'clock Central on Urban Family Talk. And let's get It's the Candidates with Brett Baer. Democratic Senator from Minnesota, Amy Klobuchar, announced she was joining the 2020 presidential race. We are at a moment in time that we should be governing from opportunity and not from chaos. Chris Sirewalt, Fox News digital politics editor. That part of the world, Democrats need to win. Her argument is I can win in places where working class, blue collar, white, former Democrats core of the party's coalition, that she can win with those voters. Josh Grashauer, politics editor at National Journal. She is one of the more pragmatic, if not moderate, candidates in, in this field. She works well with Republicans across the aisle. She's making the case that, you know, she's going to bring out these suburban voters in states like Virginia, Pennsylvania, Michigan, the Midwest. But I do think Klobuchar, everything on her rests on Iowa, her neighboring state. You can hear more of this series at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. I'm Brett Baer. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. There's a very good chance if this makes it to the Supreme Court uh, that Roe v. Wade will be overturned because we have known since the 70s that Roe v. Wade stands on a weak foundational basis. Whatever, whether you're pro-life or pro-choice, Roe v. Wade is really about do we have an individual fundamental, do women have a privacy right in the Constitution that overrides state legislatures' abilities to make laws affecting abortion? And the bottom line is that even if you are pro-choice, the right to privacy does not exist either in the history or the text of the Constitution, which is why Roe has always been ripe to be overturned. Well, (laughs) you're probably wondering, what channel was that on? That was MSNBC's legal analyst talking about a good chance that Roe could be overturned because there's no constitutional right to privacy. Now, this work with me here, folks. Um, I know a couple days ago on the show, I said, Look, the chances of the court as it's currently constituted 
overturning Roe v. Wade are pretty slim. And and the reason I said that is because Justice Roberts is not one who is prone to overturning longstanding precedent, nor is Justice Kavanaugh. So their belief that, you know, life is, uh, you know, important and viable and, and, and not to be messed with or, or uh, you know, destroyed from conception to natural death is constrained by their adherence to the judicial philosophy of precedent. Now, I personally, um, as, as a Christian and as someone who I, you know, sometimes you have to make a decision. Am I going to say this, share this, believe this, uh, you know, have this behavior, take this action, um, because it will bring condemnation or, um, you know, I, I don't want to say persecution here in America. We don't really have religious persecution. We don't have people being beheaded or having, you know, whole cities or neighborhoods burned down because Christians live there. But there are ramifications to taking certain viewpoints, and it can mean lost business opportunities, lost friendships, lost relationships, lost connections. And sometimes it can mean being mocked or ridiculed or, you know, thought badly of. And, and we experience those things as human beings. We can't let those go. We can't act as if those things happening don't hurt us. Um, I, I sometimes I'll say, you know, born for the storm and, you know, rage kitty for Jesus. And when people do that, I don't care. I, I care. All, all people care when other people end relationships and, you know, take stances based on your beliefs, especially when they're Christian beliefs. That is living the Christian life and following in the same footsteps that Jesus trod. It's a part of being a disciple of Jesus Christ, but it doesn't mean you don't feel it. And so when I, I, I'm saying this next thing, because I, I truly believe it, if Judicial precedent supersedes your belief in the viability and protection of life from natural, from conception to natural death. Then that means judicial precedent supersedes your pro-life beliefs, which are biblical, which means judicial precedent is a bit of an idol for you as opposed to what God's word says. Now, I don't know about the faith walk of uh, you know, Justice Roberts or Justice Kavanaugh, other than what we learned during their confirmation processes and et cetera. It's hard to know what a person's true faith walk is other than to judge by their actions. But it is, in my opinion, it is premature to launch these showdowns with the heartbeat bills and all of that. Yes, you know, in other words, yes, I want to see these done. Yes, I'm happy that they're passing. Yes, I'm happy to see states take these actions. But on, by the same token, if you're setting it up on for the court as currently constituted, the majority, the conservative majority is just razor thin. Justice Roberts is not a sure thing. And neither is newly confirmed Justice Kavanaugh. So it doesn't mean that I don't want to see it. I want to see Roe v. Wade overturned. But I also, I see the handwriting on the wall with those two. And I know that Justice Roberts is, swayed. I don't know if it's easily swayed or if it's a hard sway. I don't know what what the what the push is, but he's he's swayed by what the others what the others say. The more liberal judges, the liberal judges. I can't say they're more liberal. They're all hardcore liberals. So we'll see what happens. Um obviously the the most important thing we can do as the saints is to pray for the end of abortion in America, to pray for 
And I mean, lawful abortion. Obviously, people are going to do what they're going to do. People were going to, you know, ritzy houses and 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 having abortions and, and doctors were performing abortions in their own personal clinics that they would set up in the back of of other places. That was going on for decades before the passage of Roe v. Wade. Gosnell type clinics, only maybe a little cleaner and maybe definitely a different type of clientele, not poor women, rich women. They were getting abortions and that stuff was happening back then. Absolutely. The question is, do we want taxpayer subsidized abortion in America? Do we as a country want to be, you know, the only other countries that allow uh, abortion as far as we do up until till the moment before the baby is to be delivered. So full term babies being aborted, you know, North Korea, China, and I forget what the third one is. So, so you know, basically dictatorships, p- places where communism reigns, not not places where there is uh, any kind of liberty or protection for, uh, you know, for 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 humanity and individuality. So, look, I'm hopeful, but I think we have to be much more cognizant of the, of the lay of the land at the Supreme Court than what we're currently seeing. So the question now is, can we expect a Supreme Court showdown over Alabama's abortion ban? Let's listen to number three. I think that's exactly right. The federal district court has no power to do anything but strike this down because they're bound by Roe versus Wade. The same thing is true of the Court of Appeals. And so the question is, will the Supreme Court grant certiorari in this case? They won't. You need four for certiorari, five to reverse. They won't grant certiorari unless they have five. Kavanaugh and Roberts believe in Mm -hmm. the power of precedent, although they personally believe in a right to life and are against a woman's right to choose, they won't upset uh, many, many year old Supreme Court precedent. So you see what I'm saying? So yeah, there's no constitutional right to privacy, but there was one created by the passage of Roe v. Wade. The Supreme Court showdown issue, um, it, it brings it to the court as currently constituted, one in which the, what we need is a, a woman on the right. And I know, so this is what I see. Again, I'm not discounting God can do anything. If this is that moment, it will happen. But I feel like strategy wise, it's premature. And that doesn't mean it won't still happen. That doesn't mean anything's possible. But I like to set things up for optimal, uh, you know, so they work optimally. I, I like to make the chances as good as they can get. Um. So if, if we can do that, that means, you know, and God bless her, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, that's some staying power. They ought to, like, you know, test her blood genetically to figure out what, what exactly is going on in there. I know she works out and she does push-ups and all that, but man, that's some longevity. And maybe <laughs> it's because, I'm not sure, but is Ruth Bader Ginsburg married? Does she have kids? You just wonder, don't you? I'll have to look that up. Anyway. Um, so again, that is, this, this is what we're looking at. This is what, what all is going on with, with these different bills, everything that's getting passed, everything that's coming through. And I'm, I'm just, I, what I want to do in all of these things is we just have to keep praying. We have to keep petitioning the throne. We want, you know, we want to see God's hand move on this. We have just had such 
uh, such good things happen. And when I say good things, a lot of people just look at the passage of the laws. But I've seen some real changes in the way the pro-life movement deals with women. There have been some uh, just amazing women who've come to the fore, leading pregnancy resource centers and movements that have made it possible for women who work in the abortion industry to leave that life. For women who, you know, were ashamed of previously having an abortion to be able to come forward and say, you know, I, that, that's my history, but I know the truth now and I'm here to help other women through that process, you know, after they've made the mistake of having an abortion. There's just so much humanity that has grown out of the movement. And I'm talking about in the last six or seven years, the, the women who've been praying prayer warriors outside of clinics for, for decades laid the path, they sacrificed themselves and made it possible. But right now we're seeing this. It's just, to me, it's so beautiful the way you had Alabama last night, the Missouri, or not last night, two nights ago, the Missouri Senate passed a bill to ban abortions at eight weeks. Um, I think the, there's another state uh, coming up, Louisiana, um, more states are coming now, of course, there's discussion about how the laws could backfire. Now, look, first, before we before we get into that, I promised that we would kind of unpack a little bit. Missouri's Republican-led Senate passed a bill to ban abortions at eight weeks of pregnancy, um, and it includes exceptions for medical emergencies, but not for pregnancies caused by rape or incest. Doctors would face five to fifteen years in prison for violating the eight-week cutoff. Women who receive abortions at eight weeks or later into pregnancy would not be prosecuted. Now, Senate Democrats actually launched into an attack um, before the Republicans even brought the bill onto the Senate floor. And they said it was shaming. And um, Jill Shoup, who I actually know, um, she she was pretty, pretty horrible. She says, um, so much of this bill is just shaming women into some kind of complacency that says we are vessels of pregnancy rather than understanding that women's lives all hold different stories. We cannot paint with a broad brush and interfere by putting a law forward that tells them what they can and cannot do. Now that's ridiculous because we already have laws that tell us what we can and can't do. You can or cannot drive this fast. You can or cannot drive down this road in one direction or the other. You can or cannot, um, you know, put your kid in a car and drive them around with or without a seatbelt. I mean, if we're, if we're to be honest here, all we ever do is tell each other what we can and cannot do. You know what? I would tell Jill Shoup, you know, all due respect, you can decide not to get pregnant. You can decide, you know what? Um, I want to use birth control. You can prevent the majority of pregnancies that end in abortion are for contraception only. The majority. We're talking about well over 95%. So this isn't about women being vessels of pregnancy. It's about women actually taking control of their bodies and deciding what they will or will not do so that they don't have to be in a position where they have to make a choice about, uh, you know, whether or not they want to become lawful, lawfully sanctioned murderers. I, and that'll probably get me another hit on right wing watch. By the way, I mentioned uh, earlier in the week, I said, hey, you know, uh, or I'm, I'm, I was on right wing watch or what have you. Um, it was because of an, an interview that I did with OneNewsNow.com <laughs> about the University of Virginia players who refused to go to the White House to see Donald Trump, you know, the, 
typical thing. You win the championship, you go to the White House. They decided they didn't want to go. So um, I was interviewed about that. And I said that they are the ones who truly have hate in their hearts. And that got me a mention. (laughs) So anyway, no biggie. Um, So yeah, in in the Missouri Senate bill, um, you know, they're, they're just following in the steps of other states that are right-leaning. Um, and, of course, it'll the bill will actually probably be taken uh, as, as something to be contested at the Missouri Supreme Court. Um, and it includes a ladder of less restrictive time limits ranging from 14 to 20 weeks. And Roe v. Wade actually legalized abortion up to viability. So the Missouri legislation is not actually designed for challenge. Elijah Har is a Republican House speaker, and he says this is a type of legislation that is designed to withstand a challenge and actually save lives in our state. But um, the part that I think I like is it requires both parents to be notified for a minor to get an abortion. There are exceptions. Um, One such exception was a change made after hours and late night negotiations So written notification is only required if the second parent has joint legal or physical custody of the minor. So if it's just a mom or a dad, but they're not involved in custodial care of the child, then they don't have to be notified. Um, So, yeah, that's that's pretty ridiculous. Now, there is a piece up over at theweek.com talking about America's strict new anti-abortion laws could backfire. Now, the week is a lefty site. You know, let's be real here. Um, but let's 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 see what this guy's talking about. It's um, Joel Mathis, not someone who's known to me at this moment, but yeah, you know, whatever. He's saying that the court could possibly uphold these new laws, but he's also saying that uh, the court could overturn them. I think it's interesting that he's got this perspective and, you know, God bless him. Good for him. We'll see what the Lord is going to do. Won't we? All right. That's the program for today. Happy Friday. God bless you. I'm Stacey Washington. <laughs>